Um, well, did anybody act crazy yesterday besides myself? Uh, glad that I have a voice today. Um, I can't hear anything you're saying, so if you need to speak to me, please speak up. Um, we were in a series on called Vision 2020 where we're looking toward next year, and so over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about one of our mission statements, uh, maturing the believer. So we've got two mission statements, maturing the believer, winning the loss. We'll get to winning the loss in a couple of weeks. But um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of maturing the believer. What does maturity look like? What does Christian maturity look like? And how does a person become mature? And so um, just got a couple slides for you here. First of all, in identifying what maturity is, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We identified it as Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. By the way, I'm going to stop for just a second. I'm going to say uh, we are so glad to see Carl Cox back with us today. Spotted him out. He said, good to be here. Um, Y'all know he had an accident, fell off a roof a couple weeks ago, broke every rib all the way down the side, and uh, it's pretty remarkable that he's back so soon. So good to see you, Carl. Love you, brother. Um, and so Paul, we'll talk more after church. <laughs> um, so Paul talked about Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He identified uh, maturity as um he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. In other words, the old person that Paul used to be with all of his anger issues, all of his impatience with other people. And he said, look, that person that I used to be is gone. That person's behind me. I no longer live, but now something new has taken root in my heart. Something new has taken over my life. He said, it looks like Christ living in me, that this Christ-likeness has become the dominant motivations and drives and forces. So the same impulses, the same instincts that the Lord Jesus had while he was here on the earth, Paul says, those have become my instincts. Those have become my desires, my passions. That's the way I respond to people. Um, and what that practically looks like, I've got another slide for you here, is Galatians chapter 5, and verse 22 through 23. Paul goes on to say what, this, what Christ's likeness looks like. He said it looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit that he lists off there a little bit later in the letter of Galatians. And so a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about, well, how do we then begin to get mature? How do we begin this process where Paul was, right? Paul wasn't mature at one point, and he became Christ-like. Well, how, what's that process look like, and what are some of the steps that the Apostle Paul had to take to get there? Well, we talked a couple weeks ago about total surrender, that total surrender is one of the requirements for getting, moving down this line, that we give our lives over to the Lord Jesus, that we take our hands off the wheel, that we take our hands off the reins, and that we give him control of our life. Another of the things that we talked about last week was this idea of doing life together, that we need to get into relationships with other believers, with other Christians. So as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so we talked about the importance, the significance of being in Christian community. We looked at the Godhead, that God himself is in community with himself, right? you got the three parts of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God within himself is in community. We are his creation. He designed us. For one another. And so we talked about that last week. Today, we want to take a look at another one of those components that will help move us down the road toward Christian maturity, and that is this topic of prayer. Um, we're going to allow the Lord Jesus to teach us about prayer. Um, our text is going to come from Matthew chapter 6, but before he does, before the Lord gives us those words, um, I, want for, I want for us to think a little bit about prayer, and that is when we go to prayer, oftentimes we go with an agenda, right? We go with um, with, with we, we start our prayers by saying, God, give me something. God, do something for me. God, um, help me with this. God, I'm in a situation. I'm in a circumstance here, and I need your help with this. And that's really what our prayers begin with, and that typically is what our prayers are all about. 
Uh, maybe we're a little bit selfish in our prayers and we say, God, help so-and-so over here, right? Maybe we pray for somebody else. But for the most part, somewhere along that spectrum, either one end or the other, somewhere in the middle, that's what most of our prayers are. And so what we want to do is allow the Lord to speak to us today about how should we pray? What should our prayers constitute? What should be going on in our prayer time? And so let's allow the Lord to um, teach us today. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, um, you can stand and read with us today or read from the screen, be fine. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of many things that the Lord Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, but he teaches on the topic of prayer. Here we go, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So this is Jesus teaching us about prayer. And so what I'd like to do is just kind of walk through this prayer uh, that the Lord teaches kind of line by line and get a sense of what exactly Jesus is teaching us. He begins the prayer by saying, Our Father in heaven. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't say to begin your prayers by praying our judge. He doesn't say to begin your prayers by praying our master or by saying, hey, our supreme ruler. Um, he doesn't begin with some sort of a, a, a title that's given to God that's something cold and something distant, but rather he says to pray this more tender term, this idea of father. Now, for some of us, the idea of when we think about fatherhood, we think it kind of makes us cringe because our father was a cold and distant father. Our father gave us conditional love. He said, hey, look, if you, if you, put, if you do for me, if you, if you fulfill these things I'm asking you to do, then I'll give you love. But that's not the kind of love that our father has for us. He has unconditional love. His mercies, his compassion are renewed every morning for us. He's a, and notice that he's not our father. And then others of us had a wonderful earthly father. But this is somebody completely different than any of the fathers that we've experienced here on this earth or that has some semblances but is more perfect in all those things. This is our Father who is in heaven, our Father who loves us, who shares unconditional love with us, our Father who is merciful toward us, a caring, compassionate person. And so the first part of this prayer that Jesus is teaching us here is for us to know who we are praying to, okay? This prayer comes in three parts, and the first of these parts is to know who we're praying to. So before we launch into our stuff, before we launch into saying, God, give me something, God, do something for me, Jesus says, hey, begin your prayers with the word, know our Father who is in heaven. And that idea that God is in heaven also reminds you and I that this is a God who has the resources of heaven at his disposal. That means that there's no problem that you or I might face that God doesn't have the resources to bring to bear that can solve that situation. This is our Father with unlimited resources. It's our Father who's caring and compassionate and loving, that father who embraced the prodigal son and said, welcome home, I forgive you. The father of unconditional love and endless mercy. This our father in heaven. So he begins the prayer by teaching us to know who we're praying to. And it's interesting to note here that Jesus is not teaching us the words that he wants for us to pray, right? Everybody doing okay? Good. All right, you're not sleeping on me yet. Um, I knew I was gonna have to work hard today. Um, for my own sake. But anyhow, um, so you know, Jesus is not telling us, hey, look, pray these words. When you pray, I want you to get down your knees. I want you to bow your head. I want for you to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's not telling us, I want you to pray these words. Rather, he's teaching us a formula for what our prayer should look like, okay? So that's what I'm going to teach you this morning. I'm going to teach you a formula. We know the words, but I'm going to teach you the formula that is behind all of what Jesus is saying here. So let's take a look at the second half of this 
prayer. So he begins with our Father in heaven, knowing who we're praying to. The second half of this prayer is where he says, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's kind of unpack some of those statements for a little bit. Um, the Lord Jesus here is saying to us when he says, your, uh, what, hallowed be thy name. So you don't, you, know, you don't usually walk around saying, hey, hallowed today. I'm feeling kind of hallowed. You know, not a word that you run into very often um, out on the streets today, not part of our common vernacular. Um, but the Lord Jesus is, by the word hallowed comes from a Greek term. It's agiastateo, which means to treat something as holy. It's this idea that we're praying for the people in our world to treat God's name with reverence, to treat God's name as holy, to treat God's name as sacred. And we're praying for this. We're praying for God to, for his name, for his renown to be treated in such a way by the people of our community, by the people of our church, by the people in our society with great awe. We want that to see that restored. If it's been, if it's diminished, we want to see that restored. And so we're praying for God's name to be hallowed. We're praying for God's name to be restored with great reverence. The second petition that's made in this second half of the prayer is thy kingdom come, your, your, um, your kingdom come. When we think about kingdoms, sometimes we may think about the Roman Empire, right? We may think about um, the British kingdom, right? We think about particular landmass. We think about territory. We think about a particular uh, political entity that owns or runs a um, certain piece of real estate, right? Um, and so that's kind of our concept of kingdom, but that's not the biblical concept of kingdom at all. The biblical concept of kingdom is that we want to see um, lordship. We want to see rulership. It's, I mean, God already owns all the land, right? So we're not need to pray for God's kingdom to come, like God to come in and own everything. God already owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. The point there is that he owns everything. Um, and so what is it that we're praying for? Well, we're praying for God to take over the hearts of people. We're praying for God to, to for his reign um, to, to get inside the hearts of people and to own those people and for the people to cry out um, for God to, um, to you know, it's a pleading kind of prayer. We're asking for the kingdom of sin, the kingdom of evil um, to be pushed back. We're asking for God to come in and um, smash evil and to take the filth and the garbage and all that stuff that's destroying us and destroying our society out of here and replace it with a desire for him where it's a pleading kind of prayer your kingdom come a third petition that jesus instructs us to make he says hey look if you want me to teach you how to pray here's the third petition that i want for you to make he says when you pray know who you're praying to and then secondly um, in the second half he says thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's an interesting question that pops up as I'm reading through this, and I was thinking through it this past week, is that isn't God's will always being done? Right? If you read through the Old Testament, you learn about the sovereignty of God, the idea that God is in control of all things. Doesn't that mean that God's will is always being accomplished? Um, so why would we be praying for God's will to be done if we know God's sovereign? Well, the idea here is that, yes, God's sovereign will is being done. That is, his agenda in the world, his, his agenda amongst the nations of the world is transpiring, is happening as God wishes. But that doesn't mean that God owns, uh, that, that the individual will of each of us, you and I, is taking place. Um, for example, we know what God's will is for us, not to steal, not to cheat. Uh, not to do all those sorts of things, right, that the Ten Commandments refer to us to do and that the Scriptures tell us not to do. 
Um, that's part of God's will for your life and mine. And are we doing that with perfection? No. So the idea here is that we're praying for God's will to be done. That is that we're praying for, um, for, for, for people to surrender themselves and their lives over to him. Um, if God's will was being done in the hearts and minds of each and every individual all across the world, then there'd be no reason for us to pray for it. Um, and so that's what the Lord Jesus is inviting us to. And how is God's will to be done? Well, again, in the prayer, Jesus inst- instructs us. He lets us know how we, how we want to see God's will to be done. We want it to be done here on earth as it is done in heaven. And how is it done in heaven? Well, in a word, it's done totally. It's done without hesitation, and it's done completely. Um, on earth, there are over 4 billion wills operating right now. In heaven, there is one. And it's the will of the Father. And the Son submits to the will of the Father, and the Holy Spirit submits to the will of the Son and that of the Father. And all of heaven, when God says, let's go, let's do, there's no hesitation. There's no arguing. There's no whining, right? Heaven just submits to what the, what the will of the Father happens to be. Um, so Jesus instructs us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That constitutes the second half of the prayer that Jesus instructs. And the first, remember, the first component is Jesus reminds us, he wants us to know who we're praying to, that we're praying to our Father. And the second half is that if you take those three statements together, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, your will be done. That if you take those together and you smush them, it sounds like God's agenda coming first. Right? That God's wanting us to pray for his agenda in the world, for people to reverence his name, for... Um, for, for, the, for the hearts of people to turn toward God and to submit to him and for his will to be accomplished, not just in the big picture of things, but in our individual lives. Okay, um, there's a third piece there. We'll get to that um, next week. But that's as far as we want to go with the passage for today, which brings us to our most important question. Um, it's a question we ask every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? Now, I thought about this morning having y'all stand up right now and talk about the ball game for a few minutes to get your blood flowing, but I guess maybe we'll skip out on that. But um, anyhow, so we're going to talk a little bit about this question of, you know, how does this apply to me? What do I do with this? Um, it's good to know all these things that Jesus is teaching here in the Lord's Prayer, but, you know, how does that help me make money and get my kids off to school, that sort of thing? So let's talk about that. All right, well, let's go back to where we started. Again, look at the structure and the order of this prayer. It begins with our Father. Um, that is, you need to know who you're talking to, and then it's followed by three statements, and those three statements or petitions can be summed up as God's agenda. And so what I want you to see here, that the order, the structure, the genius of what Jesus teaches, is that he knew that our natural inclination when we begin praying is to ask God for something, is to say, God, help me with such and such. God, take care of this. God, I need you to step in in the picture here. God, I need you to forgive me for such and such. And that's a very natural starting point for all of us when we go to God in prayer. But he's instructing us here how to pray. And so Jesus says, don't start your prayers with me. Don't start your prayers with self, but rather start your prayers with knowing who you're praying to and the resources that he has available. And then the second part of the thing, before we get to our stuff, right? Daily bread, needing forgiveness, help me forgive others, temptation. Before we get to our stuff, he says, look, I want you to be praying about God's 
agenda. That is, start your prayers with God's agenda. Don't start your prayers, don't launch into how bad, bad things are and how you're hurting and how you need forgiveness and how you want God to do for you. Start your prayers with God's agenda. That is, remind yourself of whose will and whose kingdom and whose name your life is supposed to be about. Put God's agenda first in your prayers. Now, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why we as Christians don't have more answered prayers is because our prayers start with our stuff. Our prayers start with my concerns, what's going on in my life, and that's really all our prayers end up ever being. And so that's why sometimes it feels like a lot of our prayers aren't being answered because we're not praying in God's will. We're not praying for God's stuff. But friends, if we were to begin praying for God's agenda first, I think we'd see a lot more of our prayers being answered. Um, the purpose of prayer is not to manipulate God. Right? He's not the Santa Claus of the sky. God, I'll pray, and I ask you for this, and he'll just sprinkle down, you know, and just make everything in life great. The purpose of prayer is, to go, is not to go to God to say, I need, I want, please help me with, that somehow by praying we can get God to give us what we want. The purpose of prayer is not to talk God into seeing things our way. The purpose of prayer, rather, is for God to talk us into seeing things his way. So that when we come out of that quiet time and we come out, we come out like Jesus saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever it is, God, whatever it is that you have going on that you need me engaged in, that you need me doing, I'm submitted to that. Even if I don't understand it, even if I don't like it, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And that's really what prayer is all about. It's about getting our will and our agenda out of the way of God's will and God's name and God's kingdom. Sometimes I wonder if what we call praying is really prayer at all. If so much of what we do, God really considers wasted breath, that we start with our agenda and our problems and our requests and our needs and our wants, and we're trying to talk God into doing things and seeing things our way. Friends, when we start praying prayers, when we start our prayers out that way, we need to go back, start over again. We need to go back and begin with our Father who is in heaven, knowing who we're praying to and bowing at his feet. We need to pray, hallowed be your name. We need to pray for his kingdom to come. We need to pray for his will to be done. And when we begin our prayers that way, when we set ourselves in a, in a posture to go before him, putting those things first, friends, it impacts the requests that will come out on the backside of the prayer. It lines us up to use our resources and our time and our life for him. So let me challenge you with a question today, and I really want you to think about this. Is God's name, is God's kingdom, is God's will the uppermost desire of your life is that what you care about more than your stuff now remember he did teach us to pray about our stuff he's not a god who doesn't care we'll talk about that next week but before we get to our stuff are we more about his agenda and what god wants to accomplish in and through our life 
If you listen to a lot of TV and radio preachers, perhaps some of you like listening to some TV preachers, nothing wrong with TV preachers, but some of those TV preachers, if you're listening to those, will give you a notion that what you need to be praying for is for everything to be right. It's for you to have all of your needs met, to have everything that you want, and for your life just to be perfect. To have no worries, no heartache, no stress, perfect children. And that will become, because that's what you're praying for all the time, that will become the supreme desire of your life. Have no worries, no heartache, perfect children, everything perfect. But if you pray Jesus' prayer the way he taught us to pray, it will change the supreme desire of your heart. And so I ask you, is the uppermost thing in your life God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will? Is the uppermost thing in your life God's ag- that God's agenda will happen and that it doesn't matter if God has to crush you in order for that to happen? Remember, Jesus didn't, he wasn't necessarily enthusiastic about what he was about ready to experience on the cross. And he walked out of that prayer time saying, not my will, but yours be done. Is your uppermost desire in prayer above your comforts and above your prosperity and above your happiness? Are you praying for God's will above all of those other things? Is me what is first in your prayers or is God's agenda what's first? And even when you're hurting so bad that you don't know what to do, and even when your circumstances are crushing you so bad that you don't know that you can take it anymore, and even when the burdens on your heart are so heavy that you don't see how you can go on, and even when it seems like that, seems that, like that you're breaking under the load, are you willing to continue to pray God's agenda first in the face of all that stuff that's crushing in on you? Are you willing to ask God to bring himself glory before you ask God to solve your problems. This is Jesus' instruction for us and how we're supposed to pray. Are you willing to continue to suffer? Lord, just keep it coming. If it means that your name, your kingdom, your will are accomplished in the world. Lord, don't grant me relief if it means that your name, your kingdom, your will are accomplished. And so my challenge to us today is to put God's agenda first in our prayers. To say, Lord, if the best way in this life for you to glorify yourself, for you to accomplish your agenda, is by leaving me in my problems, then God, you leave me in my problems. That's how Jesus says we're to start our prayers. And let me say this, if you start your prayers like that, I've got one tremendous promise for you. God may leave you in your problems, but he will accomplish his will, his agenda in and through your life. And friends, in that sense, your prayers will be answered. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, sometimes get things so upside down. We think that you are the Santa Claus of heaven that is supposed to solve all of our problems, that you are just, um, and that when our problems aren't solved, that Lord, somehow, for some reason, um, we're just not praying hard enough or we're not sincere enough or that God, something's wrong and you're not listening. Or sometimes in those situations, it's because you've got a bigger picture of what's going on. God, may we begin as followers of you before we get to our stuff. We know, Lord, it's important to you and you invite us to 
pray our stuff. But before we get to our stuff, to be so focused, so surrendered to your will. Lord, some in our congregation today are going through really difficult times, financially, relationships, whatever it may be. And there's just a big question mark as to why these things just continue. Or perhaps, perhaps, because you, you have a purpose through all of it. That you're trying to accomplish something that we can't yet see. And so Lord, we come around this table today, remembering your broken body and your shed blood, to say, Lord, if you have to crush me, if you have to leave me in my problem, I surrender. I surrender to you. Or may we find comfort in knowing that you, the God of the universe, are in charge of it all. That you see the end from the beginning. May we draw comfort from you today. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.